Well, good morning. I'm Brent. I'm one of the pastors here at Sunrise. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. And uh, just hope that you have the ability to connect with God through the music and through um, just friendly faces and the opportunity to, to sh share God's Word with us. A couple announcements we want to make your, you aware of. Um, this Sunday, right after church, as well as the 24th, uh, we're going to be having just a little informal gathering back in the brand room uh, to talk about baptism. We're planning on having a baptism the end of the month, and if that's something that God's laid on your heart, maybe it's something that you're not sure about, you'd like to know more about, um, we just would invite you to come and we'll answer questions, and you're not making a commitment, you're just coming to find out if that's what God may be leading you to do. So that's right after the service today, and then we'll have another one on the 24th. Um, also, next week is our monthly New to Sunrise gathering. We have a, a meal, and we just sit down and visit and give you an opportunity to, to meet the staff and meet some of the elders and uh, find out what's going on at Sunrise and if there's places that you can plug in or ministries that you want to be a part of or maybe need to want to join in on. Uh, that, that'll give you an opportunity to, to kind of hear about a little bit more about church than what you can find out on just Sunday mornings. And also this morning in your, in your bulletin, there's a, a life, group, group, life, group, life group flyer, and uh, on the back of it is life groups that are available if you're interested in that. Um, all these opportunities are just, we want to keep them before you as matters of prayer um, to let you know that, that this is things that you can get plugged into. The most important thing in any of these with the life groups, the New to Sunrise, the baptism class... Uh, just ask God what He wants you to do. Uh, we don't want to be persuading you to do something. We'd rather say this is available and have you talk to God. And if God says yes, then, then that's the voice you need to hear. And so we encourage you for that. The last thing, not in your bulletin, but we want you to be praying about men. Uh, beginning the 1st of February, we're going to have or put together uh, several men's groups. Uh, Bible study groups, just a chance for men to connect and kind of do life together. Um, they're going to be a, a specific duration, 10 or 12 weeks, so that it's not a lifelong commitment. We're going to try to have some early in the morning, some in the evening, perhaps one during the day, so that they can fit different schedules. But we just, you know, ladies do a lot better job at this than, than, than we men do. We tend to be independent and, you know, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we do well and we don't always do well and we're not always honest about where we are. And so we just felt like there's a need for us as men to get together on a, on a weekly basis and just kind of encourage each other and, and find out that the things that I struggle with are the same things that my brothers struggle with. And so that will be coming. Watch for announcements about that. We're just kind of praying through what we're going to study and when the times are and who the leaders are. And, and so we want you to, uh, to keep that in mind as well. So we're excited about the opportunity before us this morning, uh, the Word of God. We're going to talk about that in our, in our time together in the Word, just the fact that that, that it has to be our foundation, especially in these uncertain days in which we are living. Let's pray together and we'll get back to worship. Father, it's good to be in your house, to be gathered with your people, which are really the church. Father, we're grateful that we can serve and worship um, a God who is indeed sovereign, uh, not one of our own making, not one that is who we want him to be, but rather the God that created all and maintains all and is sovereign over all. And so we pray that you would draw our hearts into worship. We pray that our 
view of you would change today by the power of the Holy Spirit as we spend time in your word, as we lift up our voices in song. We pray that we would be encouraged and that we would be changed. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, literally, unless you've had your head buried in the sand this week and have not paid attention to anything going on in the world, um, this has been a, a troubling week. Images and things that we have seen and experienced that we didn't think probably we would experience in our lifetime. Before I begin this morning, I want to make just a couple comments. Whenever difficult things or crisis enter our lives, we find out the weaknesses in our faith and the source of what we put our hope in. There's a comment that I saw this week that I thought was really, really good came out on, on a social post on Thursday. And it's, if your faith and hope is in the governing power of men, uh, today is a crisis. If your faith and hope is in the governing power of the sovereign God, it's just Thursday. And, and that really struck me, that that, that, that is the reality. And, and it's only when we see those foundations shaken that we we recognize and God reveals to us that what, what's your faith really in? You know, I, I can speak verbally and say, well, my faith is in God. But when the stress comes, I find out what I'm holding on to that's not God and it's not healthy and not worthy of my hope and faith. Another verse that I was drawn to this week, I, I can't even tell you. In fact, I have a, a copy of this. We have a copy of this in our home just as a reminder uh, the verse out of Psalm 46.10 that says, Be still and know that I'm God. Uh, just to, to rest in the fact that don't get all worked up, but just rest in the fact that God is God. And yet, the reality of the context of that entire psalm is exactly what we have seen and are experiencing this week. And I, and I want you to recognize that. And I would just encourage you as you go home today to, to take a little bit of time and read back through that entire psalm because it's exactly... It's exactly, God's our refuge and strength and ever-present time and help in, in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. In the poetic language of the Bible and the language of the prophets and, and the poets like David was, whenever we see water and oceans and foaming and turmoil, that speaks of the oceans of humanity. That's what it's talking about. That's, a, that's the sim symbolism of that language. And so think about that in terms of what we've witnessed this week. We will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains, those things, those higher institutions, fall into the heart of the sea, and its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. And then it goes on to, to say that same thing in another way in the rest of the verses. And then the psalm concludes with, be still and know I'm God. So this psalm speaks to exactly what we have seen and witnessed and, and have been a part of this past week. And so we find comfort and encouragement in the words of God, the timeless word of God. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. We're in a four-part series called Faith of Our Fathers. And we're just using the, the questions and answers from the Westminster Catechism as a, as a jumping off point. Um, 
the catechism is, is the words and, and directions of men. It has, it has validity because it's rooted on the, the principles of Scripture. Um, it's, not our, it's not our main source of, of teaching, but it was a, a methodology of teaching that the, that the post-Reformation church found helpful, um, a way to teach new believers and, and teach young converts about what's the most important thing in their lives. And so over these next four weeks, we're taking a question or two from that, from the very beginning pieces of it, because to me, that's the most important part. And as these men sat down and, and, and formulated this, this school or methodology of learning, what was the most important question? What was the second most important thing that people knew? What was the third most? And so that's what we're looking at. Last week, we talked about what is the chief end or the chief duty of man? What is our purpose? Why are we here? We're here to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's what the Scripture teaches. And so as we begin this week, uh, we're, we find ourselves surrounded by a world of information. Uh, we can pick up your phone, turn on your computer, instant information in volumes and volumes and volumes. YouTube and Google and Facebook and Wikipedia if you have questions. And, and so if, if my purpose in life, if the reason God put me on this earth is to bring glory to Him, how do I know what to do? How do I know what, what, how I should spend my time and what should be the priorities and, and what should be the foundation of my faith, what should be the foundation of my hope? With all these divergent information sources and all these different points of view, what's my guide? to how I can glorify God and enjoy my relationship with Him. The writers, the authors of the Catechism felt that that was the second most important question. After we find our purpose, why, why are we here? The next question is, how do we do that? How do we know what to do? Let me read for you questions two and three. What has God given us to direct us that we may glorify and enjoy Him? The Word of God contained in the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how to glorify and enjoy Him. And the third question, what do the Scriptures principally teach? The Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what God requires of man. Let's pray. Father, we ask it in these moments to come as we focus our attention on Your Word, that it would indeed be Your Word and your Holy Spirit that will speak to our hearts. We recognize that the words of God are powerful, the words of man are not. And so we pray that for each of us here, that we would hear the words of God as spoken by the Spirit of God into our hearts. And we know that that will accomplish your goal of bringing glory to yourself. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So the first question of that catechism makes the statement, that the Holy Word of God contained in the Old, New, Old and New Testaments is the only rule to guide us. The only rule. The only rule. The only source of truth that is given by the Creator Himself so that we might know what to believe and what God requires of us. I want to take a few moments this morning and talk about this book. This book. Because the reality is, in a world full of constant information, this is the one thing that we can hang on to. This is the one thing that is timeless, 
This is the one thing that is, is, is spoken from God himself that we can count on. I've, I've heard it described as, as the owner's manual for, for us who are created in God's image. That's exactly what it is. If we want to know about ourselves, if we want to know about God, this is the source. And this is where we need to run to and cling to and hang on to and spend our time interacting with. Let's look at some verses that talk to us about what the Word of God is, the significance of it. For those of you that have, have been in church for a long period of time, these are probably very familiar. But we need to be reminded of how important and significant this Word, the very words of God are. I want to begin this morning in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It said, all Scripture or all of this book is God-breathed and youthful, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're going to come back to that verse a little bit later, but for, for purposes right now, I want us to recognize that first phrase, all Scripture is God-breathed. In the same way that, that I open my mouth and, and as the breath comes out, words come out, that's a picture of what this book is what the words of this book are. They are words that have proceeded from the mouth of God himself. How did they come about to be in written form? Second Peter tells us how the words got into a place where we could look at them and read them. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So how did this word come to us? God took and put his words into man's minds and men's hearts, and they wrote them down on paper. These words have been translated. These words have been put into modern language. They've been translated between one, one language and another, and yet in their original form, in their original language, they're the very words that God spoke. As we look through the pages of this book, we see multiple authors, dozens of different authors, written over hundreds and even thousands of years. And yet, how do we know it's a word of God? The message throughout does not change. The personalities change, the authors change, the culture change, the time changes. And yet, from Genesis through Revelation, the message is the same. The very words of God. Only God inspiring man to do that would allow this type of book to be in existence. If we put three or four of us in a, sitting around a table together and threw out different subjects to talk about and focus on, we wouldn't agree on anything. We might be able to find middle ground, but it'd be hard to find agreement on anything. And yet you think about the significance of a common message through the different authors and the years and years and centuries over which this book was written. It's God-breathed. It's God-inspired. And, and yet the, the interesting part to me is that even though it's the words of God, we find the personality and the different priorities of the different authors come through. As you look through as you look through the Gospels, there's four different accounts of the life of Jesus, and yet each one of them, written by a different man, pre pre presents Jesus in a different way. Matthew looks at him as the king of kings. Mark looks at him as the servant king. Luke looks at him as the son of man come in human form. And John looks at him as the son of God, the great I am, that he's God himself. 
all pictures of the same story of Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection, and yet the personality of the author and the priority of the author comes through, and God allows that. And it's important. You think about how we take in the Word of God, and there are some teachers that we will relate to and others that we are just too dry for us. And God uses all those things so long as this is the message and this is the emphasis. It's God-breathed. The second thing we find out about this book is that it's empowered. In Hebrews chapter 4, a common verse that, that, that I refer to very often, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 4. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Living and active. You can't say that about any other book. No other book penned by man. Living and active. Someone could have picked this book up 2,000 years ago and read a verse, and the Spirit of God could speak truth into their heart we can read that same verse today and in the culture in which we live and the times in which we live being very different. It's applicable and accurate and it meets us where we are because it's rooted in the mind of God and He understands the heart of man. It's living and active. There's pages, there's chapters in this book that I've read dozens and dozens of times and yet every time that I read it afresh, there's something new comes to light, comes to mind. How can that be? Because it's living and active. It's the word, the words of God given to us. Isaiah chapter 55 gives another promise concerning God's word that I take great comfort in as, as I study and I stand before you week by week. So the word that comes out of my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word. Isaiah 55, 11. It will accomplish what I desire. When God speaks something, it happens. In the opening pages of Genesis, no better illustration, let there be light. And it happened. There was no hesitancy. There was no, no delay. When God speaks something, it happens. And, and what He speaks, what He desires to happen, will happen. And that's the promise we have in this book. And every week as, as we open this book together, I am keenly aware that that promise is for the words of God alone. It's not for my words. It's not for my funny illustrations or my cute stories or my things that I run across that I find helpful. It's for the words of God. And so that's what I want us to focus on. And that's what we need to focus on week by week because that's where the promises lie. This word is living and active. This word will accomplish what God wants to accomplish. We find in Isaiah chapter 40 that this word is timeless, that it stands the test of time. Isaiah 40, verse 8. <laughs> My aging fingers. So, 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. It's timeless. It's timeless. 
It doesn't change. It doesn't change with culture. It doesn't change with differing civilizations. It's timeless. And if we go back to the passage that we started with this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we find how it affects us and what it's effective for doing in our lives. Let me read that verse for you again. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's four things listed there that says that this book, that these words of God are beneficial for in our lives. The first one, for teaching. What is teaching? Teaching is the imparting of knowledge or information. As I look into this book and as I read it and as I memorize it and I meditate on it, there's always something new that God teaches me. Always something that I haven't seen before, or something that I haven't realized, or, or something that I haven't acknowledged. This book is good for teaching. It rebukes. It rebukes. That's not a part of this book that I particularly enjoy, but it's a part that I need. It rebukes. There's times I'll open the pages of this book, and I'll read verses, and it reveals the sinfulness of my own heart. And God, in His loving way, speaks to me by His Holy Spirit and says, that's not bringing glory to me. That's not where I want you to be. And so I have to fall to a knee in confession and say, you're right. You're right. This book rebukes us when we go our own way. It corrects us. What's the difference between correction and rebuking? Correction is... It sets out the direction that God wants me to go. When we correct our child or we correct or discipline someone, there's, there's a place in which we have to reveal to them why this is wrong, and then the correction comes, what do we have to do to make this change? What's the new direction that we need to go? What's the new attitude or the new action or the new thing that needs to take place and for us to not fall into this again? The Word of God is good at correcting, not just rebuking and saying, that's wrong, but saying, this is the path to being what's right, to doing what's right in God's eyes. And the last thing, it trains us. It gives us direction on how to be obedient and how to walk in a way that glorifies and pleases God, how to have healthy habits and patterns and, and behavior and, and thoughts. It trains us as we look at it time and time again, it, it infiltrates our mind and our heart, and, and we are changed. It trains us. It is all we need. It is our only guide. I love the verses in Second Peter and those opening verses of chapter 1 that talks about God has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. He's given us everything we need to walk in a way that glorifies Him and pleases Him and also brings us great joy and pleasure. He's given to us everything we need, everything we need in this book. So what about if our emphasis is to be on the work of God, on the Word of God, what about all of the myriad of informational sources that we have that, that are focused around the Word of God? We have commentaries and different translations and study guides and Christian novels and podcasts that we can listen to. What's, what's our relationship? What should be our relationship with those things? So long as the Word of God is the emphasis and not the personality and, and not 
the other things that can be that those things can be pulled aside. As long as the Word of God and the message that we're hearing directs our attention to the Word of God and God's working in our life, God uses all those different things. God uses all those different things. The only thing that we have to be careful of in these other sources is that they're not adding to or taking away from the message of this book. In the closing chapters of Revelation, there's a very dire warning given. Some believe it's only for the book, only for the, the, the book of Revelation. Others believe that it's for the entire Word of God. But it says, if you take away or you add to this book, the curses in this book are going to fall upon you. God says, this is all we need. This is all we need. You don't need to add to the message or add additional things to it or, or take away from what it says. This is all that we need. And so if that is true and we believe that to be true, what, what should be our response? What should be our interaction with this book? What it, should it look like week by week as we live our lives and, and we try to navigate the chaos and the uncertainty that we have around us right now? As Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, prepares to take his army into battle, prepares to take over the, the big shoes to fill of Moses, probably the greatest leader that had ever walked the face of the earth other than Jesus himself. As Joshua got ready to start into that role and into that quest, these are the words that he spoke to the people and to his army. Joshua 1, 7 and 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. This book, this book, in Joshua's time, that was the first five books of the Old Testament, the law that was given to Moses. That book, he knew that if that was the source, if that was their only guide, if that's what they looked to to know about God and find out what He required of them, Joshua knew that they would be successful as a nation and as successful as, a, as an army as they went into the promised land. Meditate. Keep it on your lips. Speak it. Think about it. Ponder it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. If you go back almost to the other end of the Bible, we see the words of James that tell us how we need to interact with this book. James 1, verses 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Do you notice in both of those passages in Joshua as well as James, it talks about if we walk in a right relationship with this book and hold it in the place that God wants us to in terms of importance in our lives, that we will be prosperous and successful. Pretty simple. But it's hard to do. It's hard to do. James talks about being a doer of the word. How, how many times do I read a passage of Scripture and it tells me something that, 
that God wants me to be doing in my life, and I immediately turn around and I don't do that. Just like James uses the illustration, just like getting up in the mirror and noticing that I have a little bit of dinner from last night on my cheek, and rather than doing something about it, I turn around and walk off and just pretend I didn't see it. James says, you can't do that. You can't do that. You have to be a doer. You have to do what the Word says. And I think for most of us that have been in the Christian faith very long at all, we know how important this book needs to be to us. We have a head knowledge of that. But our actions and our priorities don't match up to that. I was thinking about that this morning as I went over my notes about the things that I say that don't match up with what I do in real life. You know, I, 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 I believe that good nutrition and exercise is really an important foundation of my life. Do I? Okay? We do that all the time. We do that same thing in terms of the Word of God. Five or six months ago, I got an iPhone. Um, amongst a little angst because I never wanted an iPhone because that's what everybody else has and I don't want to be like everybody else. So that's, that's just my, my pride. But anyway, one of the things that I've learned to love to hate about my phone is that once a week <laughs> on Sunday morning on the way into church, it gives me a report on screen time and how much time I've spent with the screen on on my phone. And I've come to hate that. Because it's revealing to me of how much time I spend with all the things that I do on that relative to how much time I spend interacting with God's only rule and guide for me to know how to glorify Him. My words and my actions don't mesh up with what I believe my priorities should be. And the reality is, because we live in the age in which we do, we are inundated every single moment of every day with information. Information from the world of how I should act and how I should think and what I should be like and what I should buy and where I should go. Continually inundated with information. And in reality, if I don't have something in my life, the words of God, to offset that information, I will become what I hear. I will become what I take in. It's a fact of life. Input equals output. And if I'm not interacting with this book that my Creator has given me, I will become like the voices that I hear all around me. It's a fact of life. We can say it's not true, but it is true. We become what we take in. We become what we interact with. We live in a time in which, because that information is available, one of the lies that we hear and heed is that I need to know what's going on. I need to know what's going on in the world around me. And so I watch and I listen and I on and on and on. You know what the reality is? We don't need to know. Because all of that information does nothing more than just confuses and infiltrates my mind and causes me worry and concern about things that, that I can't control. 
There's a quote I ran across years ago, and I, I've looked and looked and looked and tried to find where, where it was and who said it, and I, and I just can't. I, I, Google failed me. And so, but I've always, I've always pondered this statement because it, it is true. It was a monk that was living in a monastery that made the comment, lock me in a dungeon with a candle and a Bible, and I will tell you what the world is doing. If I believe that this book is what it really is, the words of God, then this is the information I need. All of the things that are going on in the world around me, the sinfulness of man and the churning and the turmoil and all those things, if I believe this is all I need, then that's all I need. And I can tell you, and this is true of myself, I... What I'm sharing with you, um, God and I wrestle with this all the time. You know, I'm a pastor. It's my job to be studying and learning. That's right. And it's really easy to sit down every week and study and, and learn so that I can present something to you. But, but am I spending time for me in this book, allowing God to change and work in my life? No different than, than all of you that work a secular job and you have 40, 50, 60 hours a week that you have to be doing something what are you doing in your private time as far as interacting with this book? No different for me. It's the same exact priorities. I don't need to know everything that's going on in the world. I just need to know what God wants me to know. And I find that in the pages of this book. And I can assure you, it's true for me, it's true for you, that over these weeks and months ahead, if my source of information and the place I spend most of my time is listening to what's going on in the world around me, it will shipwreck my faith. It will shipwreck my faith, and it will yours as well. If you make this your priority and allow God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, to speak truth into our hearts, then we'll be able to stand the test of time and the storms that are to come. It's no more complicated than that. What do I believe to be true? If this is what God has given me, then my time and my priorities has to revolve around my time hearing from God. I thought this week about what should my posture be going forward in terms of just the uncertainty around us. Well, I need to have my nose in this book. That's where I need to be. I need to have my ears open to what God wants to speak to me through this book and through His Holy Spirit and through those that God has put in my life that, that I share this Christian faith with. I need to have my eyes open to see where God is working around me within the sphere of influence that God has given me. You know, one of the, the greatest tools of, of the evil one, we think about God, you know, Satan causing division. Yep, that's bad. He does. But there's an even greater weapon he uses, and it's called diversion. And if I am so caught up in the world around me and what's going on that I'm not aware of what God wants to do in my own heart and what God is doing in the lives of the people around me, that's a diversion away from the message and the mission that God has for us to do. Eyes open to where God is working. And finally, the posture of knees bowed. 
before the sovereign God in prayer, holding up my friends and family around me, holding up in prayer my nation, holding up in prayer those things that we know that only God can change and only God can, can, can prevent. Nose in the Word, ears attentive to the, to the Spirit of God, eyes open to where God is working, and knees bowed in prayer to the God that can change those things that I cannot. If this is our posture, then each day ahead will be another day. Will just be another day of following and listening to where God is going to take us because we're walking in the hope and the assurance of the promises of the sovereignty of God. It's not rooted in man. It's rooted in the words and the sovereignty of God. And if not, then each new day will be an escalating crisis that will consume us and divert us from our mission. That's the reality. One of my favorite movies is, is Gladiator which is not one because of the violence that I would encourage you to share with your children, but I, I enjoy it because I believe it's an accurate depiction of, depiction of what the world was like when Jesus walked the face of the earth. And there's one scene in that movie at the very beginning in which we see the, the power and the might of the Roman army at that time, which that, that's another thing that, that I find significant. I just... I just I just see the images of what I believe the Roman army was like. And they're going into this fierce battle. And the leader of the army, Maximus, the one that the story is about, is on his horse. And, and as, as his men are engaging the enemy and engaging in, in battle, he is fighting and ru- racing his horse back alongside his men And he's calling out, hold the line, hold the line, stay the course, we're going to accomplish what we need to accomplish as an army, we've got to hold the line. And I believe that that is so applicable for us today. As believers in the midst of these uncertain times, we've got to hold the line. And this is the line. This is what God gave us. And if we spend our time here, we're going to be prosperous and successful in our faith and in our mission. And if we follow the way of the input of the world and that becomes our source of information, we're not. We're going to lose the line. <laughs> We're going to lose the line. May God empower us to be men and women of this book, to recognize the importance of it in our daily lives, and to recognize that we will become what we take in. And if it's this, that brings glory to God. And that's how we fulfill our purpose. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would forgive me for the hypocrisy of my own lips of saying that this has to be a priority and yet the way it plays out day after day is not. Father, I pray that you would silence my desire to know what's going on in the world around me 
and increase my desire to know what you have to say. I pray, Father, for each of us that we would make a priority of wanting to hear what you say first and filtering all the other things that we hear through what you have said. We know, Father, that's the way. You've proved that out in our lives time and time again. May we be found faithful of keeping this as the only rule for how we know how to glorify you. I pray this in your name.